Over the next few minutes here on WGTD's morning show, we're going to be talking about something as basic as one's handwriting, but in a way which will really, I think, be uh, uh, eye-opening to you. Uh, It's because of a book called Sex, Lies, and Handwriting. A top expert reveals the secrets hidden in your handwriting. Uh, The book is by Michelle Dressbold, who uh, indeed is uh, regarded as one of the uh, uh, foremost experts uh, in in, in America on uh, handwriting identification, profiling, and and, uh, threat analysis. She uh, has done uh, consultation work for uh, all kinds of different uh, agencies and, and entities, and actually even has her own column called The Handwriting Doctor. And uh, this book, so interesting, is published by Free Press. And I'm glad for the next min- uh, few minutes that we have uh, Michelle Dressbold on the line to uh, talk about her interesting work and this fascinating topic. Michelle Dressbold, we welcome you to the morning show. Thank you. Um, I I remember reading about it in the in your book, but I can't remember now off the top of my head uh, how you initially became interested in this. Well, I initially, I'm actually an artist. I'm a painter, and I also have studied psychology. I happen to have taken just a couple courses in handwriting analysis, and I quickly became so good at it that even the teacher would come to me and say, can I help her? And then eventually the police department contacted me and said, can you help us? And I'm like, um, I'm an artist, but I'll help you. And case after case after case, I solved for them. Eventually, we had a murder case. I identified who I believed them. There was a note at that murder. I identified who I believed wrote the note from sus- different suspects' handwriting. After I um, identified the writer, they um, found his fingerprints. I testified in court for the district attorney's office. And then I had the district attorney, I asked him if he could sponsor me to go to the Secret Service. And then I, I went to, um, studied with the Secret Service, and then eventually the Secret Service said, we're having an advanced course and we're only inviting 19 people in the United States. Would you like to attend? And I said, definitely. So I didn't get to it by saying, oh, I'm going to be this big handwriting expert. I just sort of, my doors opened and I went for them. I want to ask you in particular about this uh, this matter with the Secret Service. You are a graduate of the Secret Service's Advanced Document Examination Training Program. Right. What does that exactly entail? What that entails really, um, mostly what that entails is handwriting identification, how to figure out who wrote an anonymous letter, if something is forged, how it was forged, who forged it. So it's identifying the writer of a document. So if you get an anonymous letter, I am coming to kill you, it's my job to look at all the suspects' handwriting and decide who actually wrote that letter. Early in the book, you use a term different than handwriting. And uh, I wonder if you could explain why, in some ways, instead of handwriting, we might want to think about calling this brain writing. Well, what handwriting is, unlike your palm, which you have no control over the lines in your hand, or tea leaves that who ha- knows, you know, what the bottom of your cup's going to have. When you write, what you're actually doing is putting the prints in your brain, they go through your hand, and your brain prints are being put on paper. And you choose, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, what your writing looks like. Uh, there's a reason you pick a large script compared to a small script. 
um, uh, some people write really deep and heavy and some write really light. It doesn't come from your hand. The signals actually come from your brain. So this is why it is called brain writing or brain script, really almost instead of handwriting. Hmm. And that's, I guess, one reason why it's possible for us to know so much about a given person from the way that they write. Right. Just for example, if you see two children doodling, and one's doodling uh, cross and skull bones and dead people, it's a very different personality than somebody who writes little hearts and I love you. You're you're putting your signals on paper. So that is one reason why you can tell so much from somebody's script. Hmm. Part of this book is... uh designed to talk us through some of the the most basic sort of points about uh, looking at handwriting and and what it can tell us. Uh, Things like, for instance, something as basic as size. Right. For example, if you think about it, um, your handwriting, if it's very large, that's a person who, just like the handwriting is noticed, that person who writes that likes to be noticed. Um, actors, actresses, people who give speeches, presidents, usually have a fairly large script. On the other hand, if you concentrate and you're very, very focused, your handwriting will get very, very small. And if you look at the handwriting of scientists, Albert Einstein, Joseph Salk, their handwriting will be very, very teeny. So Somebody who likes to be seen will have a big, strong handwriting. Somebody who focuses and likes to be kind of isolated and focused and working very, very hard on one detail tends to have very small handwriting. Another thing you uh, talk us through is this interesting uh, matter of, of writing on a little bit of a slant, and either an, an upward slant or a downward slant, which also apparently can be some indication of the personality of the writer. Right. A handwriting, again, is very much like body language. If you see somebody walking and they're big and they're going, they're, they have their head up high, you know that they're pretty upbeat. Somebody who's slouched and looks like they're downbeat is depressed. Well, your handwriting is the same. If it goes uphill, that means you're feeling upbeat, positive, energetic. Handwriting that goes downhill is, shows a depressive person and or sometimes if somebody's ill, their handwriting will go downhill, someone who's losing energy. Um, and in fact, you can actually change that. If, you, if you're depressed, you can actually work on getting less depressed by writing more uphill. Mm. You also talk about the slant of handwriting. Uh, that that g- I think generally speaking, most people write sort of a s- relatively straight up and down or a little to the right, but some people's handwriting actually... Uh, tilts backward just a little bit towards the left, right. which you say is an interesting indication of something as well. Right. When, again, like body language, handwriting that leans more to the right leans more towards other people. Somebody whose handwriting leans leftward, and this um, doesn't matter if you're left-handed or right-handed, if your handwriting slants back to the left, it means you retreat emotionally. So when you see someone in their handwriting, whether it's big or small, if their handwriting leans to the left emotionally, when it's time to express what they want to say, they will withdraw or run away. Hmm. How about this matter of the upper, middle, and lower zones of handwriting? This is interesting, and I don't ever remember hearing anything about this before. 
Um, well, handwriting has three zones. Um, your upper loop, which are the top of your L's, your K's, anything that has an upper loop, that correlates to what's going on in your head or your thinking process. Your middle zone are the middle parts of all your letters, your A, your C. Any, every letter has a middle zone. And that, if you think of the body, is like your heart, your lungs, your everyday being. And the lower zone, like your lower loops of your G, your Y, your J, anything that has a lower loop pertains to the lower part of the body, which could be a physical or sexual um, desire. So you can tell by how somebody emphasizes things. For example, if somebody's lower loops are huge and their upper loops are teeny-weeny, they put almost all their energy into a physical or sexual area of their life. I want to just stop for a moment as we're talking about some of these basics to, to ask you, how do we know this to be true? And, and how true are these things? I mean, in the sense that human beings are complicated and that there seem to be exceptions to every rule. I mean, how hard and fast uh, can these connections be? Um, let, let's start there. Okay, well, let's start with um, the study of handwriting profiling or uh, handwriting analysis is actually an extremely old science. In fact, both Confucius and Aristotle studied writing and what um, handwriting showed. Um, and throughout, from the 1500s, 1600s, different psychiatrists, different doctors, they studied the, what handwriting reflected in people. So this study has, is actually hundreds of years old. And um, I really believe that if you really know how to interpret it correctly, it's, an, it's a very accurate tool. I would say 98%. It, it's, one of, it's a wonderful diagnostic tool. And it, the more you know about it, surprisingly, the more you realize how much it works. One thing I wonder is some of these matters of, for instance, we can look at their handwriting and because it is this, then chances are the person is this. Some of those, uh, it's, it's uh, a correspondence that, that makes sense. But is it a matter of us kind of jumping to conclusions? Or in fact, have we actually looked at a number of people with, let's say, a, a given sexual dysfunction and looked at their handwriting and, 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 and seen, oh yes, in, in almost all of these cases, their handwriting uh, displays such and such. I mean, w which has come first? Um, you know, I think it's sort of a combination. I, um, what they did was study many, many, many people's handwriting who had different dysfunctions, who had different personalities, and, and they started to classify them and see what they could find, like what these psychiatrists could find in their, their person's handwriting. Um, then after a while, when you um, when you find something in somebody's handwriting and it's very bizarre, you study that person and you go, why, what's weird about them? And then you try to see what you see in that person's handwriting that you see in other people's handwriting. And do their personalities have things in common? Hmm. One thing that was of special interest to me was the fact that uh, not only can we look at, at general stylistic matters in handwriting, but we might even uh, it might be valuable to look at certain really important 
crucial words or letters, especially when we write the capital I and, of course, refer to ourselves. Right. The reason that the capital I is so important is because I is not just a letter, it's a word. And that's how there's only two ways you write yourself on paper. One is the letter I, meaning I am, and one is your signature. Your letter I shows how you feel about you. Your signature shows how you want to pre- show other people what you want them to see in you. So hmm. if you make your I, for example, teeny-weeny, your self-esteem is pretty darn low. If your I is great big, you're like kind of an egomaniac. So, and there's many, many other things that you can tell from the I because that I is such a personal letter. So in the book Sex, Lies, and Handwriting, I even explain how if you really know what to look for, you can trace your family background. Sometimes you can tell how your parents got along. It's a very, very revealing letter because it's not just a letter, it's a word. Hmm. Yeah, you remind me also that there's a whole chapter in this book uh, that focuses on the signature and all that we can learn from people's signatures. And you say even signatures that are all but indecipherable. I mean, where it's, it's just kind of a blur and hardly anything it seems to be really there, but you say that can show us something too. Right. Um, the, for example, you can. I have a quiz in my book, Sex, Life, and Handwriting, about um, different signatures that you actually cannot read. But even though you cannot read them, you can tell a tremendous amount about a person. For example, if somebody writes a, their signature and it's all angles, it means they're kind of a hard-driven individual, a little like Donald Trump. His handwriting happens just to be a bunch of different angles. Or if your handwriting um, is very loopy, like your signature, it, it's a very different personality than somebody who wrote with those all the angles. So even if somebody writes and you can't read it, you can still tell a tremendous amount about that person's personality. Hmm. How about the matter of some people uh, having a proclivity for underlining words when they write? Right. Well, I'm sure you've seen that, where people write and, you know, if you underline one word, like, uh, uh, please handle carefully breakable, and you just underline that breakable just to make sure that that mailman knows not to throw it down in the trunk, then, then that's one thing. But you've seen handwriting, and they underline every word, and some words twice, and then they highlight other things. That's somebody who doesn't know what's important and what's not important. You should only underline once in a while something that you need to emphasize. But if somebody is emphasizing everything, they don't can't decipher what is worth emphasizing and what's not. And so, um, you know that you can almost tell when you get a letter and too many things are underlined that that person has some problems. And I'm sorry if I insulted anybody. <laughs> but <laughs> We're speaking again with Michelle Dressbold about her book called Sex, Lies, and, and, and Handwriting. Uh, you have, of course, used this uh, skill, this uh, body of knowledge, uh, especially within the criminal justice system. And uh, one of the things that is quite interesting in your book is an examination of um, several very high-profile cases in which there is something to be learned uh, through the means of handwriting analysis. Uh, I think one of the most uh, interesting cases we have here is uh, the infamous Lizzie Borden. Right. Um, you know, 
remember that Lizzie Borden was never convicted of the crime with her fa- about, you know, axing her father. And in fact, she was found not guilty. It took a jury of, of 12 white males, because that's all the juries were back then. They, in 20 minutes, they said that a, a sweet little girl like this could never top up her father. But her handwriting tells a very, very different story. Hmm. You also are not afraid to uh, stride right into the midst of, of one of the, the most troubling cases in recent years, and that is the murder of John Benet Ramsey. Right. And um, what you examine in, in some detail is this very intriguing ransom note, uh, which seemed to have been left uh, in the wake of, a, of, of an entry into the uh, Ramsey's home. It's interesting. Your examination of that is is more than just the matter of handwriting, but you also talk about other things about that that ransom note uh, right. in terms of its content, its length, that sort of thing. Let's talk about those matters first for a moment and then get to the matter of the actual handwriting. Okay, well, the very first thing you have is a two-and-a-half-page note. When you have a ransom note, when somebody leaves a note, it's usually maybe the few three sentences. Have daughter, give money, call 9 p.m. tomorrow, be there. It, 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 the fewer words, the less evidence a kidnapper is leaving. So a kidnapper does not want to write a two-and-a-half-page note. And if you think about it, how long that note took, it's a very abnormal thing, especially since that note was written in the Ramsey's house. Because it was written on one of their uh, tablets. It was written on one of their tablets, and it was using a Sharpie, which was from the kitchen. So that note was written in the house, and they even on the tablet have a couple practice notes. But in that tablet where the person sort of discarded them and went on to write this ransom note that was left at the bottom of the stairs. Um, So I start off with just the concept of what a real ransom note looks like and why this note is just completely abnormal, would not be a ransom note that somebody who is actually there to kidnap a child would leave. Hmm. You also go on to, to talk about the content of the note and, and certain matters which really raise suspicion. For one thing, I believe, uh, something about how the character of the note changes from the start of it to the end of it. Right. When you look at a long letter, if you're really looking at a letter and trying to decipher who wrote it, you really don't want to look just at the first paragraph because when somebody writes the first paragraph they're trying to concentrate the most as a letter goes on a person starts to reveal more and more of themselves for example this note starts off mr ramsey as if it's a formal note to mr ramsey as the letter the ransom note goes on the person no longer calls him mr ramsey but calls him john this indicates a more informal relationship than a yes sir Uh, so you start to look at what's going on at the bottom of that letter where the person's getting a little more relaxed and those are the things you concentrate on so by seeing john you know this is not a complete stranger who came in and you know it's not someone really 
calling this person Mr. Ramsey is someone who's familiar enough with the person to call him John. Also someone who apparently knew something about the Ramsey's finances. Right. We, we know this because of an amount of money mentioned in the note. Right, and it's a very odd amount. It's 118000 um, it, 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 People, when they leave ransom notes, they, get, they say, I want $2 million. They don't, They're not that precise. And this was um, the, the amount of his bonus. So then again, you know this is just not some crazy person off the street. This is somebody who's very, very familiar with what goes on inside that Ramsey hmm. house. You go on from there to uh, show us a very careful, detailed comparison between this ransom note and uh, known samples of the handwriting of someone in the Ramsey household. Yes, I do do that. Um, what I did, and, and, and I guess the book is out, so I'll tell you who I compared it to, to, to your listeners. I compared that note to Patsy Ramsey's handwriting. This would be the mother of John Benet. Which is the mother of John Benet. And what I did is, when I go to court, I try to present... It's a black and white issue. It's um, when you show handwriting samples, you show this A looks like this A, and you explain why. I presented it to the reader as if they're the jury. I mean, this case never really went to court with a real jury, and I presented it as if the jury gets. I mean, they did have a you know a trial, but it never really went to a main court. And I presented it as if you're on the jury and you see the evidence in black and white, what would your verdict be? I think the evidence is very, very compelling. That Patsy Ramsey wrote that ransom note, mm. which, yeah, of co- which of course does not really, in any, with any sense of finality, explain exactly what happened or who killed John Benet. Right. But, uh, but this really throws... Uh, interesting light onto this case. To, to what extent do we know that those who are officially investigating this, uh, have they examined this? Are they aware they of some of this? They, uh, yes, they have. Um, you know, why it's never really been pursued as much as it should have been, this I can't answer. Hmm. In addition, this last portion of your book also examines the fascinating story of someone known as Jack the Ripper. Right. <laughs> Tell us a little bit, first of all, uh, a, a, about the person we're talking about, and then what comes down from us in terms of, of handwriting samples that, that make this an even more intriguing case. Okay, well, I'll explain my part of this case. Was that I, you know, I was writing this book, my book, Sex, Lies, and Handwriting, and I thought, oh, it would be fun to have a part about Jack the Ripper. I wanted to explain why of approximately 700 letters claiming to be that from, we called it the Whitechapel murder or Jack the Ripper, why only one is a legitimate letter and why the others are hoaxes. And so many people have written books. I, I think there was a book recently, uh, Patricia Cornwall, where she compared the handwriting in one letter, in a few, some of the letters to an, uh, an artist named Sickert. But the problem is those letters are hoax letters. And the very first thing you need to determine is if a letter is a hoax letter or a letter is legitimately 
from the murderer. I believe only one letter and of all the 700 is a legitimate letter, and it was one that was not signed, Jack the Ripper. It's also one which uh, apparently came to be known as uh, the letter from hell. Yes, it's the letter from hell, and that was the return address on that letter. And it was, that letter was wrapped, put in a box with half a human kidney. And that kidney, the one of Jack the Ripper's victims, half the kidney was cut out. And um, this note from hell was sent with the kidney to the head of the vigilance committee. And um, they, the, no, the, the kidney itself had a disease called Bright's disease, which is from alcoholism. And it was determined that the woman who was murdered also had Bright's disease and that um, this, these two parts of this kidney matched. So that besides the wording, the letters, the letter structures, the whole circumstances of this one letter is the only letter that I believe is truly that from the killer. Hmm. There are other letters, as you say, which, which come in, uh, including one not long thereafter, uh, signed Jack the Ripper, and of course it inspired apparently uh, other copycat efforts. Right. Actually, the very first letter was from somebody, and they wrote Jack the Ripper, and that gave this murderer a name. Possibly had this um, first letter not come in, this case would have been long forgotten, but having that name Jack the Ripper stays in people's heads. Um, I show in my book why I believe that letter was written by a reporter. I mean, there was lots of money to be made, and if you look at the handwriting, um, it's very much like the one head of reporter. Um, the letter that's not the hoax letter, all the letters, most of them were signed Jack the Ripper. The one that I believe is from the real killer did not sign it Jack the Ripper. He signed it, Catch Me When You Can. Hmm. And, of course, that never occurred. You're right, it never occurred. Hmm. Well, actually, they did catch this my suspect. They caught him and he escaped, but he was never, ever tried as Jack the Ripper, but he was actually brought in as a suspect. Hmm. A fascinating story, and we can see uh, facsimile copies of of, uh, that letter from hell and, and other copycat letters in the pages of your book. Your book, on a much less sinister note, also includes some uh, interesting questions uh, uh, written to your your newspaper column and your interesting answers. And there's also one point in the book when you talk a little bit about yourself and your own handwriting and how at one point in your life you actually set about to change your handwriting a little bit. Uh, Just tell us quickly about that. Okay. Um, When I first started studying handwriting and profiling, there was something called an argumentative P, and it means the top part of your P spikes way up. And it means you're very argu- It's a, called a pugilistic P, and it means you're very argumentative. Well, I kept seeing it in my handwriting, and I thought, hmm, this is wrong. I don't believe it. Well, as I watched myself interact with other people, I realized I always argued. And I love my family, but I noticed when we ever ate dinner, it was always a debate. And I thought, well, I... This is not always good to always be debating everybody. I decided I'd rather be a little more peaceful and not always have to be in arguments with everybody. So I actually physically started changing the way I write. And every time I wrote my P, I'd say, 
all right, you listen to people, you're calm. And my personality actually started to change. And I've actually done it with more than one thing in my writing, and it's made a huge difference. Fascinating. And maybe others can think a little bit about their own handwriting as they read your book and maybe think about uh, a similar sort of change if they feel like that might be warranted. Your book really makes us think about handwriting in a, in a whole different way. And the book, again, is called Sex, Lies, and Handwriting. A top expert reveals the secrets hidden in your handwriting. It's published by Free Press. The author, Michelle Dressbold. Michelle Dressbold, I have found this very interesting, both the reading of your book and our conversation today, oh, well, and I thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much.